Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the JT Fox Podcast Network. On this show, we interview some of the biggest names in the world, Pacino, Schwarzenegger, Mark Wahlberg, billionaires, entrepreneurs from all over the world, inspiring stories, ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Sometimes we debate the news, we do all kinds of things. But today, we are fascinated by a uh, good friend of mine who I know very well, very successful entrepreneur, and we're going to talk about his business. But more importantly, a lot of people think you need to be one of the hottest shows for entrepreneurs and still going is the idea of Shark Tank uh, overseas Dragon's Den. In fact, one of my partners has one of the franchises overseas of Shark Tank Dragon's Den. And the concept is entrepreneurs go in and pitch their businesses and the sharks kind of decide whether to invest or not. Although from a background of experience, uh, having invested a lot of companies, owning a lot of companies, nothing is what it seems. Um, you can't expect people in a 45 minute hour pitch to tell you everything. A lot of the deals don't go uh, through uh, in the back due to due diligence. And we're going to get down to the bottom of this, that you don't necessarily need to be on Shark Tank to get a deal with a shark. Or you can come and do a deal with the fox, but that's up to you. And Mike is a living proof that does happen. Mike Watts, who uh, is the CEO of Love Handle. Do I have that correct thing, Mike? Is that, what, is that Love Handle or is that just from the past in my brain? Yep, that's right. Oh, there it is. The name's in the background. Sorry. So Love Handle, very successful entrepreneur, a business that uh, him and his father are involved. And I met him through the pandemic, ironically, through an app. And uh, here he is back. And I'm reminded of him every day because he's in the back of my phone. So every time I have my phone, I'm reminded of <laughs> him as well. Although we have different definitions of what a Love Handle is. Uh, so Mike, welcome to the show. How are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm doing great, JT. Thanks for having me. It's a real honor. So explain to people what your business model is. Uh, just, yeah, I know I, I covered a little bit, but just so, so we have some perspective. Right. So basically, Love Handle, it's, it's our patented inventions around making smartphones smarter. You know, it's like uh, I tell people it's like wheels in a suitcase for your phone. It's probably something they should come with that they don't. Uh, but we have an aftermarket grip that integrates a kickstand, internal magnets for sticking your phone out of the car, you're filling up with gas and little simple things, car mounts, and uh, we make MagSafe versions. But our business model is a little bit different because we really are focused on a direct-to-consumer model and just continuing to evolve our product around what our customers ask for. And so it's been a nine-year journey. We started with the when the iPhone 4 first came out uh, with just a little stick-on grip, and it's evolved into what I think is the world's greatest smartphone accessory. So, I mean, listen, the product is great. It's in the back of my phone. Just to give you an idea, you can have it as sort of as a kickstand on your phone, so your phone stays there. Um, there is not too many products. There are some little metal things, but there hasn't been as many products. If you search on Amazon as well, you have ones that are just there. I, I saw this little magnet thingy. So you have to explain me what this does and kind of give you an idea. So Mike gave me a whole box. It's like Christmas. And for some reason, I'm now a hippie with this interesting color. <laughs> uh, and you can put your own brand on there. Um, so let me ask you first, why love handle, right? So the idea of a love handle is usually people who have a little bit of love on their side. Um, you know, I don't know, like, to, like as a guy, I kind of feel like, I don't know, it didn't resonate with me at first. So what's the, the idea of the name? How did that come about? Well, yeah, it's a great question, you know, and it's, it's hard. People think naming a business or a product is easy, but it's one of the hardest things you'll do. And we had a list of around, again, this is 2014. We had a list of around 100 names we considered, and most of them were like, you know, gadget grip or something catchy like that. But really, we want to, to come up with something and pioneer our brand and to make really marketing easier. 
And one way you can make marketing easier is to sort of disrupt people's receptors. And, and when you give them the brand name, something like Love Handle, they have to sort of reassess what you're saying about it. Isn't and the argument though on the other side love- though, Mike, isn't the argument on the other side that if you have to explain your name, you've already lost because obviously you don't have millions and millions of dollars to explain what you do. Like if you'd call it the kickstand uh, or phone buddy, or like, I'm just like, if you just call it the kickstand and everybody know what that sure. is and you're branding right. that to so become sort of a, the ongoing brand on it as well. So then if someone said, Hey, did you get your love handle? It's an accessory is not the first thing I would think of. So, because they have a different meaning to it as well. So does that hurt you any kind of way or? Not once it's established. I think that, you know, I definitely see both sides of the, of the argument, but you can go with a more generic name, which I've done in some of my previous startups and, and it's worked early on, but then the competitors can come in, especially if it's a truly generic name that just says what it does. It's hard to even get a trademark for that. But, you know, if you look at Google or what does Coca-Cola really mean? Like, or what is, you know, yeah, but they also were started. Or, but, but know, there's a little bit difference though. Coca-Cola started in the early 1900s and then you have Google, which was one of the first search engines. People say that, well, Apple is an Apple, but in a competitive right. market, by the way, where you're competing online and Amazon, which by the way, you know, if you type in what it is, the competition is just so crazy uh, on there as well. Do you think that that's now different now? Because Anybody can really start your business, right? I can go to China myself. I can source it. Uh, I can have a product made. Maybe probably knock it off in some kind of sense is what happens. Go, you know, do some bunch of ads on Instagram and and uh, and that. Now I may not have distribution into retail or like you have, but it, it is easier to compete against yourself uh, with the knockoff products. Do you agree with that? Not really. I, I think that once you if you can establish a brand, then you can create a a community of people that search for your product by the name you know as we go to voice right people are gonna i don't want them to order a phone grip i want them to order a love handle when they talk to their smart speaker so that there won't be any competition if you search love handle there won't be another product that comes up in google or in uh, in amazon or anywhere like that so once you're able to establish that i mean you'll even look across my category look at mophie what does mophie mean i don't know but now now we know that it's battery backups right or skull candy what's skull i mean all of these brands had to establish themselves in what they were but they were unique enough that they it's like the whole blue ocean strategy right i don't have people competing for for my uh brand name out there because it's, it's mine now but isn't it easier to, to i mean i'm sure earphones is very easy like accessory business is very easy because the barrier to entry is so thing. So is the industry itself, how competitive is it? You know, you're obviously not the only one. Um, it, it, do you find it, is it getting harder and harder or easier and easier? Yes, you have an established brand. So, you know, but it makes it a little bit different. Right. But it, is it a hard business to like always stay ahead and compete? It is, it is hard. It's getting harder. You know, when we started in 2014, our biggest challenge was getting people to accept the idea that you would stick anything on your phone. They just got a touchscreen phone and a glass back phone. And they're like, why would I, why would I put something on my phone? That was our biggest objection. So now it's like, what do I put on my phone? Everybody's fighting for that space on the back of the phone, whether it's going to be a wallet or a MagSafe or whatever, my product. So it's, and there's a new entrant every day. And so, again, I think that as you bet, you have to innovate, you have to continue to evolve and you have to continue to focus on building your brand, but then not serving your customers so that they are loyal and they trust you when you launch a new product that they're just going to come out and get it. And to have a brand story, you know, for us, it's made in America, you know, like we're local, you know, our ties to Damon John be a shark tank and all yeah, those we're, sorts we're of things. But address that you know, it's, it, 
yeah, there's a snowball uh, over time that, that helps you build up to that. Now, I, I will say your product is, I think it's $35, right? I mean, it's phenomenal, right? Especially the kickstand mm -hmm. part, $35. I don't know what the, what do the flat ones go for? So those are the swappable straps. People change the strap, by. they yeah, sell yeah. for 10 bucks, 15 bucks. Okay, yeah. 10 bucks, right? And so how much does it cost to make in America versus overseas? And do you think people in today's world, like everybody says, I love made in America, as long as it doesn't cost no money, almost the same concept with like, oh, I want to be green and healthy. But if the light bulb is going to cost me right. more money, I'm going to go cheaper, right? So on one hand, people want in America, they just want to pay extra for it as well. Um, is the made in America that big of a difference? Um, and how much cheaper would you be able to get your product if you just went overseas and didn't go with those ideals? So I think made in America matters to some people, but far and away, it doesn't matter to the consumer. They're mm -hmm. going to buy the cheapest one. People are right. just egocentric like that, right? We yeah. all are. So um you know, that's not the big deal for us. It was more of a business decision. I had, you know, my previous startups, I had dealt with the deficiencies of Chinese manufacturing and that, you know, mm -hmm. they constantly cut corners. I've twice now pushed half a million dollars worth of product into the dump wow. and, uh, you know, cried my eyes out when, when I did that. And I, I swore to myself that I would find a way to become efficient domestically. And what that's done, you know, we built our own automation equipment actually right outside this room is where it's all built. And so we designed the product, but then we also designed how to make it, how to automate it so that it could be human assist, but then be very efficient. And that allows me to keep my inventory levels low. And we just got done with a bunch of trade shows and sold tens, really hundreds of thousands of units that we didn't have in stock. We just came back. We just baked the cookies, right? We just knew. It, it, it is the way they it, order. Isn't that the way the way it kind of goes now? Like, for example, when I went to the Ford plant, when you buy a Ford Raptor, you, you can't buy it off the lot. You just order it and they do it in front of you. Apple is doing the same thing with the laptop where that's one thing Tim Cook did very well, that now it's become, we don't want stock. We'll just kind of like supply an order based on there. And that's why when you go to the Apple, you don't get an iPad. I love that maybe they have a few on stock. You just uh, iPad or, or Mac. I had to wait two and a half weeks or three weeks to get mine. Um, is that where the, the, the whole market is going? So we'll make it where it's easier, um, but we don't want to get stuck with inventory that necessarily you know, is not going to sell. Yeah, I think it's a smart business model. It doesn't work for everything, but it definitely, if it's customizable, uh, which a lot, a lot of consumers seem to like these days, then it then it works really well and allows you to uh, make it personal to them, uh, keeps your inventory level low, and especially in an evolving market when your features and benefits are constantly changing and your competitors are continue to come in, into play, it allows you to innovate quickly and be nimble. And so I think it's a, it's a robust a business model, but it's it's a challenging one too to, to to be to actually be a manufacturer and a distribution yeah. company, a marketing company, and everything that we do under one roof. You know, it's, it's a, I have a hat rack the size of a room. So, so the um, you know, when you look at the the how many widgets a year do you sell? Like all the if you had to count all the gadgets, the widgets, uh, all different products, how many different products total units to say? Whether it's the the kickstand or the the flat interchangeable, how many widgets of those totally would you sell a year? We're currently doing around 15 million to 20 million units a year. Oh, wow. That's a lot. Okay. So that was my next question. The entrepreneur that's listening now that wants to be you, right? That wants to sell a widget. 50 million is a lot, right? So you can afford to have the margins, but the average person, let's say they're making a $10 profit, right? Um, a $10 profit uh, and you sell a thousand. That's not that much because then you got to count overhead. You know, you're paying yourself as well. Uh, right. 
really hard to scale. What, what advice would you have for the person that's listening before we get into the shark tank story, which is the whole point of it, but I'm fascinated by the, the, the business model of you, basically someone who wants to start and sell their little products online B2C, which now with the Spotify and it's much easier now, but you know, it, it takes a lot of harder work and the amount of working in like, Oh, I sold three today. Okay. Well, I made $30. Right. So it, for that average person, what advice would you have for them? Well, I think that, you know, you want to take affordable steps at the beginning, right? Like really focus on making sure that your customer wants the product. You know, it's real, it's real tempting to say, okay, I have, I have a widget, right. That I came up with and I think people are going to buy it. And, uh, but I don't really know if they're going to buy it, but I'm going to go out and make 10,000 of them because that's where the price break is. And next thing you know, you end up with 10,000 pieces of something that isn't quite right or the customer wants something like that, but not exactly that. And your product's going to evolve. I would tell them to actually pre-sell some at a, at a price, or even if it, if it costs you to make a small batch, even more than you're going to be able to sell it for, use that as information about your marketplace to determine, you know, does the consumer want this in, a, in what way? Is there any way I can make it better before you scale up? So the, take affordable steps and one step at a time and then focus on the profit margin later, but really try to make sure your product mix is right early. So let me, let me ask you a question. So the back of the phone is ultimately space, right? And, and people customize it. As you say, there's all kinds of things, but I'm just throwing it out there as well. Let's say I'm a brand, Coca-Cola, you know, Budweiser or any other brands and says, you know what, Mike? I am going to put sort of my brand on the back of the phone and people will basically, may not say buy it from us, but they can basically will subsidize it for them so that they can put it in the back of their phone. And maybe they charge nominal fees. So instead of $35, it's a $5 thing, which is manageable. And now mm -hmm. I got a $5 thing, which is normally $35 because the brand subsidize it as well. And, you know, just like I'm reminded of you every time I pick up the phone that you uh, send me a bunch of stuff. Uh, and it's so hard to reach people because the attention span of everyone. Do you think that as a corporation, as a brand that makes sense to sort of pitch it that way and say, hey, we'll sell it. And then you say like, here's $35 for no brand and customize the way you want for $5. Now you basically, this company paid for you to have this. And I'm like, and I think a lot of people will be like, yeah, I don't care what brand it is, but it's still kind of, you know, they have it, people around there have it. And would that model work? It's just a business idea I just came up with. Well, that's what I love about you, JT. That's something I've actually never even thought about. You know, there's we have one or the other, right? Like it's it's either you buy the retail product or you sell to a brand promotional and they give it away. Uh, I really haven't found seen that that center spot, but that's a creative yeah, way. I mean, because it, on your website, think, you could be like five dollars. But people are, are, are in essence paying for advertising per click. And, you know, mine's lasted for a couple of years. Um, it just yeah. fell apart just at right in time because they gave it a beating. <laughs> uh, but, but it's interesting too, because if I'm on your website, I'm like, I don't know. I actually might pay the $5, even though I'm wealthy. I might like, I'm not like, it's subsidized and it's kind of different. And people like brands, you know what I mean? Apple yeah. wouldn't do something like that because they're like, we don't pay for anything, right? But you'd have a lot of <laughs> brands you know, I, I have to imagine when you see that logo every day, then people are around the phone. What is that? It's just, you know, it's be very interesting. And so you basically become an advertising tool. I take full credit, just send me the check. So now let's get yeah. back to the, the theme of the show here, uh, <laughs> which is um, how did you get on Shark Tank, uh, which is the screen behind me? Uh, what happened and the story with Damon John, which I know you said a thousand times, but it's a fascinating story as well, because there was no deal done and you end up dealing deal with sharks. So it is possible to do deals 
um, without Shark. So tell us the story about why Shark Tank. Was it just about exposure? You really needed the money and so forth. Well, you know, I think like a lot of your listeners probably just love the show Shark Tank. You know, sit around. I used to sit around with my family when it first came out. We would watch the whole thing and we would pause it between pitches and just chat about it and figure out, are they going to make a deal? What's good? What's bad? And, you know, when, when we launched Love Handle, I always had this vision that I would be on Shark Tank. Like I had that as a casting vision. I'm like, I'm going to make a deal with a shark. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go be on Shark Tank. And so sure enough, we were at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. They had an open call there um, on site. So my father and I, who was my co-founder, we went and pitched the the producers of the show and they loved it. They loved the product. They loved our energy, you know, you know, extroverts. And um, so we, they, we, they made us advance us through the second round. And so the second round is like, you turn in a 10 minute video, you fill out a big, you know, written application form. And then we wait. And sure enough, about three, four weeks later, they sent us a letter back say, uh, congratulations on making it to the second round, but you didn't make the next cut and not going on to the third round, which would have been fly out to LA and, and to go to the Tony picture studio. And so they turned us down and we went back and said, and then, so then a year goes by, they have the open calls again at the next show. Same scenario. We go in, we pitch maybe the second round, second round, we get turned turned down, and then then we get kicked off the show again. So I don't know. My my mom always said I had a face for radio, so that's probably why uh, why I didn't make it on. Uh, focused on just keeping our business, keep it growing. Try to I didn't want you know Mister Wonderful to take me behind the barn and and shoot me for or crush me like the cockroach that I am for not having. But, but Mike, it was a, a business with you and your father. So we right? just kept it, focus. So, Mike, it's a business with you and your father, right? So, yes. in theory, it's got a little father-son thing, which Shark Tank loves the back scene of the story. It just seems obvious that you would be like us. They like that my son and I were together as a family, you know, because obviously at the end of the day, Shark Tank is a TV show. So, it is meant to entertain yes. and the little guy gets a deal from the big dogs, right? So, were you surprised because the whole story of you and your dad and you know, made in America. Like it's got a good ring to it. So right. It's kind of interesting. You weren't picked. You know why you weren't picked? I think, I think that it's the other piece of it, right? Because like you say, it's a TV show. So yes, we had the family appeal. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we're, uh, you know, we're traditional looking uh, business people and I didn't invent this product. I licensed the patent from the original inventor. That's probably right? so. I wasn't the guy that's in why, the workshop yeah. whittled it out of a piece of wood and made right. the first one. Like yeah. John Murphy, who lives in you know Minnesota, he's the one that did it. He cut his driver's license part and took a piece of elastic and glued it onto his phone, and that's the story. So yeah. it was probably that that didn't have that backstory to it. Um, yeah, but and then what, what happened? Know, with, and then so you're not yeah. in the show. How does Damon John fit in that he becomes an investor in your company? Well, you know, they told us in the process that, you know, don't send samples in. Of course, I sent samples to the studio every week. And uh, I guess some of them finally made it around to to the folks on set. And uh, and Damon John ended up getting some. He fell in love with it and he wanted some for his company. And so next thing you know, I'm just, you know, I'm geeking out on my orders all the time. I look at every single order that come across the desk. And sure enough, there was this order that came across from the Shark Group, which is his branding agency out of New York City. And I really, I put the dots together. I was like, wow, this is amazing. Don's ordering my product. And so I got on the phone. There's a phone number on the order. I called. And I was like, hey, can I talk to Damon? And it's like, y'all just order from me. And they, of course, laughed at me and said, no, you can't talk to Damon. 
but we do, he does love your product. And, and so, you know, he wants to order some long story short, I started sending more product his way. When he launched his book, the power of broke, I made some custom ones for that. He sent it up there. He launched rising grind. I sent those there. I sent some for every brand that he owned for FUBU for every, I was just constantly, I, I started to build a network with his team up there as well. And then find out, you know, connect with them on socials. Next thing you know, um, he calls out of the blue one day. And it's like, Mike, this is Damon John. You know, I don't know how you did it, but everybody here loves you. Everybody loves your product. I love your product. And we don't do this that often, but, um, you know, we want to do a deal with you. We think that this is a winner and we think you're a winner. So let's, let's work out a deal. And so that's, uh, that's how I did a deal with Damon John without ever going on the shark tank. And what has Damon John, I mean, there's a lot of, obviously your B2C. So what has been the biggest value that Damon John has brought to you? Well, right out of the gates, um, he was able to get us on to Good Morning America, QBC, the Home Shopping Network within a matter of weeks. So, you know, his access is really what it's about. We've been able to sample everyone from the Kardashians to, you know, presidents to major rock bands. And so he has this network that's on this elite level. And so it's allowed us to to get access to those places as we needed them. If we've had a strategic partner we're trying to get to, he's got the Rolodex that has the contact information. So that's, to me, that's been the biggest value. He's also a great friend and a really cool guy. And I'm a mentor to me, but uh, from a business perspective, access is what he offered that was the most valuable. Is there a thing that you have not liked? Like sometimes people, people like that are very busy. I'm very busy on a lot of companies and different like that. Sometimes there's an expectation, although you are very non-dramatic kind of giving type of guy. So that's not really your personality, but was there something like, you maybe thought you would get and has not gone like open up doors to Walmart and Target and, you know, all those other big brands or everything there has been, it's been, you know, rose petals the entire time. It's mostly been rose petals, JT, but, and there's been, you know, I think I had this inflated vision of like how easily he could get products into retail, but you know, like everyone else, these retailers are running their business. They, they, they'll take a meeting because you're with a shark or you know a shark, but that doesn't give you anything beyond just opening the door. So, which by the way, that's the, usually the hard part. Though like, opening the door is the hard part sometimes, right? Because you're one of of thousands mm -hmm. and thousands trying to get in. Uh, last question: What advice would you have for all entrepreneurs uh, watching? And I'm sure people will go check out your product. I love handle. You own lovehandle.com. Is that your domain? Did you pull that up? Mm -hmm. It'd be like the yeah, lovehandle1.com yeah. slash <laughs> AU. Like, you know what I mean? So I'm glad you got lovehandle.com. Um, is there a, a final word of inspiration you have for all entrepreneurs watching? Yeah, basically don't quit. It, you know, if you if you're if you're just persistent and you never stop, then you're guaranteed success. And, you know, a lot of people feel like those failures that start coming your way and they're gonna come your way and they knock you down. Uh, if you don't get back up, then you're, yeah, you're going to fail. But if you keep getting back up consistently over time, you're going to learn and you're going to find success. Just, you know, stay humble, keep working hard. You know, can't lean on a shovel and pray for a hole. You got to keep digging. Well, there you have it. Mike Watts, love handle, inspiration. I think the lesson here is add value, 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 value. Keep adding value. Say no, keep adding value, value, value. And eventually people notice you, you know, he didn't say, well, you know, when he buys or no one comes to you. I think that's, a perfect example. You took a risk and say, okay, it's going to cost me X amount of time, X amount of sample, but I'm going to keep pushing through. And that is why 
uh, you are very over 15 million widgets a year. Um, and we're gonna have to do part two. We're gonna have to do another show part two. If you like this show, make sure you like it, share it uh, on Apple, YouTube, share it uh, to whoever uh, you want out there, because I think the message goes into there. And also, what do you think about Mike? What do you think about the product? Check it out. And also too, I think there's a lot of lessons there uh, about what true entrepreneurs, I mean, as a, you never lose until you quit. That's it for today. Thank you so much. And make sure if you're on YouTube, you also subscribe to our channel as well. Mike Watts, love handle. We'll see you probably a part two. I got 10 more questions. Um, but you know, it's a little bit much for people. So we'll ease it into next part. If you like second part, make sure you subscribe. <laughs> Thanks. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you next show.